Welcome to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, we're talking about your favorite stuff. It's veggies today. They are my favorite now. As the youngest in your family, <laughs> did you eat all your vegetables? Of course not. I uh, was notorious for being the one that was still sitting at the dinner table with cold peas in front of me. Um, you know, and those were frozen, by the way. Those were not like fresh out of the pod when I was a little girl. That was pretty hard to find. But um, yeah, I was definitely the one at the dinner table sitting there while everybody else was either out having fun or watching TV or whatever, because you weren't allowed to leave your, the table until you ate all your food. And then, of course, you had to take food. So, you know. Just little Cindy and her peas. <laughs> there were a lot of things I didn't like when I was a little girl, but I you love them all that. now. That's the funny thing. Well, good. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to start the program on a negative because veggies are pretty darn positive and mm-hmm. it's the season for all kinds of beautiful stuff to start showing up. Mm-hmm. But while we're at it, so what are the veggies you disliked the most as a kid? Well, I hated mushrooms because they came out of those jars. They were those soft, oh gosh, I hate, I really hated mushrooms. I, I mean, I wanted to cry. See, I got so frustrated with the horrible food. Well, uh, um, <laughs> You know anything that was frozen, I or or like green beans out of the can, uh, I just did not like at all. Um, and you know that was that was, you know, until you know farmers had stands, and my mom could get to a farmer stand. I mean, I grew up in Indiana when I was in the fourth grade through my senior of high school, so there was a lot of sweet corn. And eventually, as I got older, um, there was a lot more fresh product available, and my mom stopped cooking. You know the way that everybody was in the '60s, basically '50s and '60s. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, when we started getting fresh corn, and I would I would sit out back and shuck a whole bunch of corn with my mom, or we would, you know, shuck peas or whatever. Um, my, well, one of my favorite things, of course, is not healthy, but my mom, uh, again, being Pennsylvania Dutch, would do the slow-cooked green beans on the stove for several hours with a piece of ham. And I, I mean, I just loved that so much when I was a kid. That was absolutely one of my favorite things, albeit not terribly healthy because they were cooked so long, but um yeah what about you tony did you like vegetables for for me yes and no i mean that i like things that had pretty strong flavors from out of the gate i think that's because my great-grandmother you know she would go to market every day she would go to elections and market a good bit mm-hmm. and she always picked up things smelled things patted th- you know she mm-hmm. Had an intimate relationship with her vegetables. Well, she knew she knew what to look for. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's one of those like growing up in the country things. Is she'd mm-hmm. pick up an eggplant, and it would show me, hey, the stem, you know, don't let it be brown. It should still be green on the stem. Otherwise, don't buy the eggplant. It should be really firm. Mm-hmm. Same thing with with peppers, tomatoes. She would smell them. I mean that with melons, you could hear the sound. I mean there, there were there was kind of a trick for every particular mm-hmm. thing with greens or lettuces uh she was always she was always unhappy with lettuce in the grocery store when i was a kid because it was all you know it, it was all stuff that had been you know a month or two out of the ground and there's, there's and, and that still goes on the shame is that when the stuff is right out of the ground it can have tremendous flavor to some extent you you get the real product all of a sudden you need twice as much dressing because it actually has such texture Mm 
that 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 they can handle it. The the greens are so vi- fibrous in comparison. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was a big vegetable toucher. <laughs> And a great cook of it. I mean, uh, I was going to say she had a huge family and had, you know, so it's amazing that, you know, they had a lot of people to feed. So I'm sure they ate a lot of vegetables because that would have been less expensive. Well, and and it was always just like kind of simple celebrations when things showed up. When when real peas came, you know, I had to shell them and she would cook them. And that that usually meant, uh, you know, boil for a little bit. And then a little bacon fat. Basically, when the water had gone, she'd throw them in a skillet with just a little bit of water and salt. And once they kind of begun to soften up a little bit, throw a little bacon fat in and a little black pepper. And not complicated, but, man, that was always terrific. And lay sure. fish on that or uh, or uh, a little crispy chicken leg on that, and that was all right. Now, I think one of the things about working with vegetables is, is really understanding how to cook them. Uh, there, you know, it's it's the idea of a green vegetable in particular being cooked properly in a large amount of water with a good amount of salt. Uh, if you can have salt in your diet, um, that's really what you want to do. Is they need to move freely in the water, and they will cook as fast as possible. That way, that's the whole point of a huge, you know, a good amount of water, and the salt just helps to keep the color and it gives it flavor, obviously, and. Um, you know, you don't want to cover a pot when you have a green vegetable in. And on top of that, if you're if you're eating it now, then you can drain it and toss it in whatever you like, whether it's a you know canola oil or or a, you know for fun walnut oil or extra virgin olive oil or butter, whichever it is that you are you know is appropriate for however you're eating them or what are your what you are eating it with. Um, but if you're going to if you're doing the work in the daytime. Uh, you know, perhaps, and then doing it for dinner um, or preparing it in the daytime for dinner, you want to shock it. You want to stop the cooking process immediately. So you want to shock it in a large amount of ice and water again, and you can put salt in there as well. Um, And then that stops the cooking process, retains the color, retains uh, as many vitamins as possible. And uh, that's one of the reasons why you want to, you know, stop that cooking process is to not only keep it green and crunchy, and it's also a texture thing. Speaking of crunchy, obviously we want it to be crunchy, not limp and soft. Uh, we want it to be uh, nice and crunchy, and that's that's full of vitamins, so it's good for you. Shock so, it and, and drain and it. And that's the, that's so you're talking about blanching. There's a whole group of green vegetables, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about peas or asparagus or what else is in what else is in that group that you would treat broccoli, green beans. Um, you know, you, even, you can even shock spinach if you want. I mean, I, I would prefer that you sauteed spinach in some good oil uh, or in a, in a neutral oil and then tossed it with oil for a good healthy, a uh, little bit of salt for a good healthy eat. Um, but you could even blanch spinach. But yeah, any green, any of the green vegetables, um, you know, that's how you want to prepare them. Bees, favas, well, favas are a bean, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So and things that are more fibrous, let's say like collard greens, mustard greens, kale. That's, you know, when it comes you, to... You need, you need more time on those guys, right? Yeah, well, the good thing about collard, if you can get 
not collard greens, but if you can get kale and mustard greens, mustard greens, you can, I mean, if they're tender and if they're relatively tender as they can be and young, you can eat them the way they are. Or if you saute them, you can saute them quickly. Um, if they're more mature, then you're going to have to add a little bit of something liquid wise to that pan, uh, most likely, um, which could be water, could be chicken stock, could be yeah, a little, like you said, if, if people are into bacon, a little bacon fat, but um, with the uh, and shard tops and beet greens, all of those things are really hearty. And I do think you want to sort of braise them a little bit, which is really what you're doing. And then when it comes to collard greens, that's a slow, long, slow cook. Um, I cook my greens for at least two hours and I try to get the youngest ones I can, but they're still, you know, three times the size of your hand pretty much. Um, so with collard greens, we make the stock first and, uh, you know, for a case of collard greens, which is a lot of greens, I do 12 smoked ham hocks in water and cook that for, simmer that for like almost two hours. And um, we do add a little bit of chicken stock, salt and Tabasco to that water. Once it's that stock, once it's made, we strain off the, strain it off and uh, we pick the meat from the ham hocks and do many different things with that. You could make a ravioli with it. You could make, add it to a salad. You could just put it back in the greens. Um, there are a lot of different things you can do with that smoked ham hock meat, albeit there is not much of it. Um, and then uh, we, once that, that beautiful stock is made, then we slowly cook the collards, like I said, for a couple of hours, and then adjust the seasoning at the end. Now, you were once upon a time, I'm going to take you back now, almost 30 <laughs> years, you were involved in a big collard green controversy i was so what was your when when you were in your 20s you had this different theory <laughs> about collard greens let's, well, let's go back and, and retry that that was uh there's a little called out you got called out by vernon jordan on that i sure did um i love that man i love that man and and i'm so thankful that i got to see him shortly before he passed away i saw him on a train from i think i was going to new york and uh, I actually saw him on the train and it was just a fantastic moment. I got to sit down. He actually remembered me after all those years. I, I honestly, I couldn't believe it. I love that man. I, I just thought he was extraordinary. Anyway, he, well, this, what happened with the greens was uh, when I opened the, the restaurant in DC, I was dedicated to doing low country cooking. And yet I was trying to figure out, I was one of the first chefs that brought Southern cooking to a fine dining restaurant. Um, there were a number of people in the South, a number of people in, you know, the deep South and in Charleston and also Jeff Bubin in DC um, doing the same thing. And so what I was trying to do was preserve the pathways of Southern cooking and the history of Southern cooking while using traditional product, using the traditional cooking methods and and using the product and trying to find the product, which was very hard when we, when we opened that restaurant in DC. Um, now it's a lot easier. Things are so much more available because Southern food has become so popular. People are so interested in it. And so many chefs have worked also to preserve that. So um, back then I was thinking, oh gosh, I don't wanna cook. I mean, cause I had had those green beans growing up and I knew those weren't really very good for you. So I really, in that same thought process, I thought, gosh, you know, I really should do cook the collard greens less. Let's have a little bit of consistency to them so they're not tender and they're still retaining some vitamins. Now, I was only cooking them, if I remember correctly, about 15 minutes. That's a huge difference from two hours. And that did not go over well at all with Vernon Jordan. He, he, he was like, uh, you do not know how to cook collard greens. I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting in trouble in the dining room. 
I'm glad he told you because I grew up on him and it's kind of, mm, you know, I, I think you're great and all, but. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to make them healthier. That was a young chef trying to, you know, just make something healthier for people. That's all it was. I wasn't really trying to change them because I love long cooked collard greens, obviously. But then what happened was even the news. So there was an article in the Washington Post about it, which was crazy and really good for the restaurant, quite frankly. Um, and then uh, I think the people we worked for were quite happy that that article came out. Um, and then also the News and Courier, the Charleston newspaper. My mom and dad were living in Charleston. They saw it in their newspaper that their daughter <laughs> was was doing, it was called the Collard Green Controversy. I still have yeah, that article. upsetting people. Yeah, it was upsetting people. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was, it, my mom and dad, my dad was like, my dad called me that very moment when he saw that in the newspaper and he said, Cindy, what's, <laughs> you're in our newspaper, what is going on? I'm like, oh, I don't know. So, and I did not grow up on, collard greens. I grew up on green beans slow cooked. So um, that was not something my father was familiar with anyway. So he really wasn't really quite sure what was happening. He was more concerned about how good the smoked ham hocks were <laughs> being a yeah. past butcher in the meat business all of his life. But um, then, event, you know, right after that, we started doing both kinds, which was I had the slow cooked and I had the, what do we call them? Nouvelle? We didn't, did we? The new greens? I don't remember. But anyway, we had both I th kinds. I think if I recall, I think we called them newfangled yeah okay whatever it was and then so we have both and of course the slow cooked you know we're always far <laughs> more popular than the <laughs> undercooked ones <laughs> oh my god I, that's a walk back in time <laughs> if, if you had put those in front of my great-grandmother oh yeah she uh, definitely would have like, said mm, you don't know what you're doing <laughs> why don't you sit down right now please <laughs> you're, well that's pretty much what i got from vernon you're not, you're not mr jordan well Mm -hmm. you're not you're not you're not feeling well well. <laughs> well and you know there are lots of things that are good slow cooked quite frankly i mean when you think about okay one of my favorite things to eat is when we make short ribs which we did for mother's day and um and do all you know we braise often is the mirepoix that slow cooks all that time with that good meat or chicken or whatever it is we're braising Ah, uh, that stuff is that that vegetable is so good, and what what because I well, love become, that. It's, it, it's become one with the stock. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's just <laughs> it's know, basically that's, that's tastes like happened. the meat now. Yeah, and it it it. So now what we do is whenever we braise, we drop mirepoix in in the last like twenty minutes or so of the cook time. So that's how I'm I'm serving you know braised carrots now. Um, uh, we roast cipollinis, but we have carrots. We'll do onions in there and um, or uh, or celery pieces. So mirepoix basically. Um, and those, gosh, and now we just cook it correctly. And it's also, you know, not like, you know, mashed because that's basically what the mirepoix looks like after two or three hours of slow cooking. So this has, its has still has its shape. It has a good shape and it tastes like heaven. And, um, yeah, so I wanted to talk about that as well, as far as cooking vegetables, if you do eat meat, that is a, a you know, and I know we think of braising more often in the winter time, but when it's cooler outside, but gosh, it is a great way to eat root vegetables. You could do parsnips that way. Um, Carrots. What other root vegetables are there? All right. Well, let's let let's let's make a quick list because we've only got a couple of segments to go here. Mm -hmm. So we need to talk about braising vegetables. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about vegetable gratins. Yes, and I have one I want to say. Vegetable soups. Settle down. I'm excited. We need to, we need to talk about veggie pasta and veggie <laughs> risotto. Oh yeah. And we have a short time to do it. So when we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine. 
I'm going to try to keep Cindy disciplined and work our way through this list on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And so we're deep into veggies now, right, Cindy? We're talking excited. about. We've we got a list, so you got to keep it crisp, okay? Don't, All right. No, well, we talked about no, green veg, and we started to talk about braising we, them. We, you talked about blanching vegetables. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about braising vegetables a little more. The kind of vegetables that you braise, we're talking about what? Beets. Any root vegetables fall into that group pretty much, correct? Sure, absolutely. And they have different densities, so they require different times. Mm -hmm. And it's a question of what you want to do with them in the end, right? We're I just talking about stock vegetables, mirepoix, carrots, onion, and celery. Right. Um, and sometimes people put other things in there as well. But how much flavor they pick up from being braised with a, a piece of meat or uh, with a chicken or something. So what else do you want to braise? You know, I, it's I, one of the traditional things French people braise is endive, and I know you like to do that, and that can be really, really delicious, uh, especially for a piece of fish. Oh my gosh, because it's got that sort of level of acidity um, that you want to accompany seafood, and uh, if you do that in a light chicken stock, or you could do it with a little white wine in light chicken stock, um, it's it can be just so delicious. I like I like the acid a lot, and uh, a lot of times I'll, especially for fish, like you're talking about. I know the, I know the dish you're thinking about is bronzino with uh, it's caramelized endive. So you braise it first in white wine, orange juice, and a little bit of white chicken stock uh, with some aromatics, and then then you sear it on a in a really big hot pan or on a plancha mm -hmm. uh, to get it to caramelize a little bit or roast it in the oven. We'll get you the exact same effect. Well, and, and, then just, know, and then just warm it when you're going to serve it with the fish. And talking about, you know, thinking about combining vegetables together, you have a whole bunch in your refrigerator, you just went to market. Um, well, how do I, if I want to eat like a whole bunch of these things together, how do I do that? And I mean, in the end, unless you're doing like a julienne of everything and stir frying it and doing it really quick, small, you know, a small, a small cut and cooking it quickly, you really need to probably cook things individually and or you at least need to get them to be the same size. So let's say you're roasting, you want to roast turnips and beets. I, I really don't think you can do that. Well, first of all, I don't think you want the juices to meld together. So I don't really think you can do that together, although you could, but I wouldn't suggest it. I would roast the beets on their own. Beets take forever to roast. You really kind of have to know the density of the vegetables that you're, right, right. So, that, that you're, that you're roasting or you're, you're roasting or braising. Correct. So really when it comes down to it, most often it's going to be you need to cook everything separately and then you can combine them, combine them on the plate. Um, and, you know, obviously you want things that go together. But, you know, let's say you did pick up beets and you had, you know, what else would you have at market like Cipollini's or some sort of onion um, or maybe green onions. 
um, you know, something that you might want to grill instead of roasting. Um, so you can certainly put all those wonderful things together, but you really want to, you want to know how, what is the best way to cook this thing? I mean, with beets, you can pickle them. I mean, that, and that's the way I grew up on them. And I hated beets because my mother pickled them with eggs. Ugh. I mean, I, you couldn't make me eat that. I, I would have to be starving to death to eat pickled beets and eggs, oh, but sh- I love sure beets. Like it. Ugh. So, uh, <laughs> but truly like beets on a bed of salt with foil and roasted in a 350 degree oven or beets rubbed with oil and salt, um, same way in a pan with foil. So they're steaming, obviously that's why you're covering it. You're steaming them. Um, it's a moist roast method because the vegetable has water content, which is captured in the pan with the foil covering. So it roasts and steams. And, um, and then the other thing with beets is, as you were talking about before, you could, you could actually blanch them. You could actually cook them in water. Um, but really, I think you just realize the natural sugars so beautifully when you roast them. Um, but there's, there's different ways. And then with parsnips, uh, again, I like the idea of the whole braising them in the stock or, you know, that you, you know, chicken stock or the, or the short rib stock. Um, but I also love roasted parsnips. Um, celeriac, if, if you, celeriac is sort of a bee to work with, to put it mildly. Celeriac is very hard and it's sort of woody in texture. Did, did, did you call it a bee? I did. I didn't want to say a bad word, yeah. but it is sort of They're really way. dense. They're really dense too. Yeah. They're, they're, and when, I mean, man, your knife better be sharp. And celeriac is so good. I love celeriac. I love parsnips and celeriac. Oh my gosh. The last time I was in France, I feel like all I did was eat parsnips and all the time. Um, so anyway, so, and it was just, it was, must've been the season or something and all the chefs were using it, but with celeriac, you have to have a sharp knife. Please be careful. Cut a flat surface on the bottom, cut a flat surface on the top, and then you can sit it on that flat surface on a cutting board that has a wet towel or, or something wet, you know, paper towels, several of them underneath it. So that board does not move at all. And you are super careful with your knife if you're not used to using a knife um, and trim off the outside. Or you could peel it, but it just doesn't peel very well with a peeler because it's so woody. But you could use a peeler, um, which is safer than using a knife to someone that's not skilled. I want to back up for one second to something you were talking about a minute ago and then go back to root vegetables. Okay. One, (laughs) let's go back to you have to cook them all separately. There are dishes that benefit from not necessarily cooking them separately, but cooking them in order. So I'm thinking about, uh, there's a Sardinian version of pasta fagioli that I like a lot. And chickpeas, you know, if you you get dried Uh, chickpeas, they can take forever, right? Yeah. But they can take forever. So the way that you make this, and I'll I'll give it as a quick recipe, You, you make a white chicken stock, you finish it with tomato and saffron, and a bay leaf, and then you start cooking your chickpeas. And honestly, you're going to have to add water to the stock yeah. because the chickpeas are going to take so long to cook. Yeah, exactly. Before they ever start to get soft, it's you know it's like you're an hour and forty minutes in before they start to get soft. Mm-hmm. Then you add golden beets, and then another twenty minutes later, then you add carrot, celery, onion fennel, uh, nice. garlic. That sounds uh, so good. The garlic, you sweat a little bit on the side, but just to take a little bit of the heat out of it and add that in there. And then you add greens. You add the beet tops mm. uh, that you that you cut into a chiffonade. Uh, there could be some spinach. 
you add all those guys into the pasta fagioli. The thing I love about pasta fagioli is you can use what the Italians would call uh, maltagliata. So when you're making fancy pasta, you know, filled pasta, all that kind of stuff, or you're cutting certain shapes, you have all those leftover bits of all the, like the pasta dough that you rolled out. Mm-hmm. So I would just take those guys and we put them in the freezer because you have like nice egg pasta, it's in the freezer, it's in the freezer. Once they accumulated for a little, matagliata just means badly cut. So I love that. You, you just take <laughs> take them out, thaw them mm-hmm. out just, a, just for a few minutes, and then you can just kind of cut them into little triangles or whatever. And that's what, when you when you go to make the pasta fagioli, that's the pasta part of it that right. you put in there. And it can have as little pasta or as much as you want. But it's one of those things, that it kind of takes forever, you know, and it, but the dish can be going in the background. Mm-hmm. And it can it could have meat or something in there or not, but chickpeas actually have a lot of protein. Yes. And uh, and and the the chickpeas saffron tomato thing, but not spicy. That that's definitely a, a pretty Sardinian staple. But that's uh, you know pasta fagioli, sardo style with maltagliata. It's funny because, and you said that's Sardinian. Yeah. Yeah. So when. So I recently found out that I'm diabetic, and so I've had to alter my diet completely uh, and make a lot of changes, which is a very crazy thing for a chef, I have to say, but pretty much it's crazy for anybody to have to do this. So that dish would be perfect, and that's the first thing I made was chickpeas because, they, as you said, they're high in protein. They're so good for you, and I'm like, oh, my, my gosh, I have saffron. Um, I have tomato, I have chopped tomato in its juice. Um, I had some chicken stock in my freezer and that's exactly what I made. And I, the only other thing I put in there was, um, chili powder and, um, Tabasco. Oh, you messed the whole thing up. Well, I didn't make a Sardinian (laughs) dish. I just made Cindy's got to eat something healthy dish. And oh my gosh, I mean, I I, I got tired of eating them, quite frankly, because I made a whole bag. I should have taken them to somebody, but I should have taken them to work. But um, anyway, it was it was really good. And so that's funny that that's the foundation of pasta fagioli. You know, that's pretty cool. So, okay, the other thing you do with that is the less the chickpeas when they're left and they've kind of blown up in the broth after a while. yeah, Yeah. Just fry them. Yeah. Fry yeah. them with like little sweated shallots uh, and yum. and uh, a, a nice poached egg on there and lots of fresh herbs. Lots of, it could be, you know, savory. It could be lots of basil, you know, yeah, a little bit of a Calabrian chili or something. Well, and of course I can't have the pasta in the soup, no, but I, that's easy to eradicate because there's so many other ingredients already. But yeah, the, 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 the uh, that's one of my snacks are the, uh, are the are the crispy uh, chickpeas obviously healthily made and oh my gosh I, I I love those things I can't eat very many of them but I do I do like four or five of them every now and then when I'm sort of getting hungry. Um, the other thing I was going to take you forward to uh-huh. uh, you are on root vegetables and I was just thinking how nice uh, gratins are you know going oh, from you know I love gratins. I mean, to me, it's not the most healthy way to eat, but I mean, everything doesn't have to be healthy. So this is just delicious. There's nothing wrong with just delicious every now and then. So on Mother's Day, again, we made, and I've never made this this way. Okay. So I made, we have this, of course, gorgeous asparagus right now from Godfrey's Farm. And I 
what I did was I blanched the asparagus very quickly in heavily salted water, just like we talked about. I did use the top three quarters of the asparagus because what we do with the rest of it, the woodier part that's not as desirable, we make soup with. So when I trim my asparagus, I cut the very end off. One, because it's usually dry and kind of gross. Um, and two, it potentially has sand or dirt in it. So why not? And it's usually really woody at the end. So just discard it. And oftentimes it's white. So you kind of know where you are. So cut the very end off and just throw it away. And then go up 20% or until you really feel where the snap is snap, um, where you are at the snap, um, <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. And then cut that. And that's what you use for soup. And then the rest of it you can use for the scrutin. Well, what I ended up doing was using the rest of it and making a cream. So instead of, oftentimes when I do a like a potato gratin, I just use straight cream that I reduce down a little bit and add salt and pepper to. Um, and so that's a pretty traditional way of making a gratin is just using cream and adding it to whatever you're, you're cooking, if you're doing a cream-based gratin, of course. Um, and... Um, so I'm like, ah, oh, well, you know what? I've got these stem, these nice pieces. We already made 10 gallons of soup. I certainly don't need these anymore. We're never going to use them in time. So I'm going to make an asparagus cream to make my gratin. Um, not exactly the most brilliant thing in the world, but was quite delicious. So the cream brought it up to a boil, added salt and pepper, um, did not thicken it at all, did not reduce it at all, added that asparagus, let it cook for about four minutes until that asparagus was tender, and then pureed it and strained it. And that was what I put in the bo bottom of the gratin dish. So we have a, an Apilco sort of really pretty oval gratin dish that's basically individual. We use them for our creme brulees and, um, uh, <clears throat> and a lot of other things. Those dishes are so, oh my gosh, they're so great because at home you could probably get two portions out of one. Um, they make an, uh, a size up and you can definitely get four. I, I love that dish. I, I've used that more when I've had dinners at my house than probably any anything for a serving piece. But anyway, so you put the two ounces of the asparagus cream in the bottom, uh, lay in blanched, just perfectly blanched. I did 12 pieces depending on how thick they were. And then, um, I'm sorry, before I put the asparagus in, I added a little bit of caramelized onion. So we have Vidalia's, I did a small dice, and I would say there were probably 12 pieces of caramelized Vidalia, which I sauteed in butter and, and salt until it was caramelized. Drop that on top of the cream, then put the 10 to 12 pieces of asparagus. And, um, and then on pickup, we, when we went to cook it, to serve it, which is what, mean, what it means when I say on pickup, um, we napped about an ounce of Berblanc uh, over the asparagus just to, because otherwise it would have been dry. It needed that sort of coating. And then I had breadcrumbs. Uh, it's, it's panko and it's a fine grind of panko. Um, it comes in different sort of sizes. And um, I had mixed a little bit of butter and pepper in with that. And that went over just a little bit over the top. And then we broiled it. What, what you would do is broiling at home. We went into a 450 degree oven at the restaurant. And, um, oh my gosh, I, 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 it, it's so delicious. So that's, that's a way to make a gratin. If you do potatoes, you do very thin layers of potato with cream in between each layer, uh, alternating with cheese, which we use Gruyere and Reggiano. And we also salt every other layer with light salt and light pepper. And then you end up on top with cream and cheese. And then you cover that with foil. Um, and that's a delicious potato gratin. And that, that takes a good 40 minutes to roast in a, in a 350 degree oven. All right. 
I'm keeping keeping score on our list here. So when we come back on formidable phone food and wine, uh, it's more veggies, and we've got to cover soups, not just the pasta fagioli that I talked about. And risotto. Um, risotto. And any other veggie Please. goodies that you want to throw in there. All right. And one of Cindy's wild experimental vegetable desserts. All of that and more on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy and I are digging into veggies. It's so fun because when I met you, Cindy, how many vegetables you did not like. And uh, and now here we are decades later and I you, love mar- you marginally like some. No, you... I you, love vegetables. You, you're much better, much better kid now. Yeah, I'm not a kid. I'm old. Now I know. Oh, jeez. <sighs> Anyway, we were we were mid gratin, or did we finish veggie? No, gratin? we finished. We finished gratin. We need to move on so we can cover more stuff. You know, I I didn't put it on our our list of uh, things we got to check off. So let's do a quick. What vegetables are okay to grill? What vegetables are not okay to grill? Okay. You know, so that's, let me ask you this: Do you like grilled asparagus? I do, but I like it in a crazy way. Huh. I don't like it when it's grilled, I have to say. You know, I think it kind of ruins it. I know it's very popular and a lot of people like it, but I am not fond of that. So and and well then this preparation will really offend you. <laughs> because you mix it with a little bit of canola oil, a couple of drops of sesame oil, soy, sesame seeds, right? Yeah. Toss, you know, basically almost like you would a marinade the asparagus. Put them on the grill just so they kind of caramelize a tiny bit on each side, and it smells amazing. And oh, the uh, and sure. the, the the sesame and asparagus flavor is great together, and very particular. And that, yeah, I'm a big fan for that. That's never was on my list, and then when it hit my list, it's like, oop. But that's grilled asparagus. I like it that way. I don't really like it any other way. I love sesame oil so much, and I love sesame seeds. Um, I don't have soy sauce at my house, but I would love to try that. That sounds really good. I, and that that's also sort of screaming for green onions, finely chopped green onion. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. So grilling vegetables, I mean, for me, I love to grill zucchini uh, and I don't make it, you know, I think I think the thing with grilling a vegetable is that you want it to cook without burning. Um, and so either your grill needs to be pretty low, which is pretty unusual. Control, control the yeah, fire. It's yeah. not usual that you have a low grill when you're grilling. I mean, or you could have one, if you have a big grill, you could have one area that's lower. Um, but um, I really like the idea of having corn in the husk on that, if you have that ledge up above the grill grates, um, I think that's kind of cool to let that roast out there for a long time. Um, uh, but mostly I like things that are thin, like grilling tomatoes, grilling thin slices of, not super thin, you don't want them to fall apart on the grill, but you know, not an inch thick either. Um, uh, so slices of zucchini, slices of onion, red onion, especially green onions, like you know you were talking about with the 
calzots, is that how you say it? Oh, calzots, yeah, yeah. Calzots. I mean, you know, that's so traditional in Spanish cooking and so delicious. Um, uh, what else? What else? Uh, what else would be good? I mean, you know, like I can't see grilling broccoli. I think that's just taking it too far. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. They're all those little tiny pieces on the head of the broccoli and they're all going to burn. And I, well, I don't like burn food. You know, I, I, one of the first things I tell, I teach my cooks, if, if a cook is going to start grilling, I'm like, you, you have that, you need to have different heat throughout the, cause we have like eight burners on our grill. So we can really moderate the heat and, um, never have it on high. There's no reason on our grill in our restaurant to have that thing on high. You're just going to burn food. And yes, you want the effect of the grill, which is one, the marks, um, which does char the food and two, so, the smoke so you, you, that you can get. You want char, you don't want burn. No, and especially you something want caramelization. like a scallop. You right. want caramelization, you don't want... Uh, Burned, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I want... I want yeah, ca ca well, caramelization, not, you know, black and, I mean... Yeah, exactly. That's not what you're chasing. Right, and so especially if you're doing something delicate like a scallop, which is one of the more delicate things you can eat. It's sweet, it's pretty, it's mildly flavored. Everybody loves them. Why are you gonna burn those things, okay? And it ruins the moisture content of the product as well. So you you just, you know, with vegetables, um, you know, I think it needs to be for a reason. You know, I, I love grilled onions. Those are fantastic. Those green onions are also, you know, it could be a red onion, a Vidalia onion. Those are delicious. In Persian cooking, the grilled tomato is extremely important to that cooking. And I get it because when you're eating kebab, you want that sort of moisture and and that sort of smoke that you get and the acidity and sweetness inherently in that tomato. Yeah, the acid so it's just, ah, oh, it's like the key to the kebab. Um, but yes, just make right. it, it have intention. Cooking needs intention. You know, you don't just do it because it sounds cool, looks cool, whatever. There is no intention behind that. There is intention behind understanding what happens to the product with the way that you're cooking it. Is it in a saute pan? Is your pan on low heat? What's going to happen? Is it on high heat? Is it a slope-sided pan? Is it a straight-sided pan? Is it a tall pan? It's amazing the difference. A good way to learn about what happens on a stove is to take three different, totally different types of pans, a saute pan with a slope side, uh, a pot that's straight up and down that has, you know, maybe six inches of side, or a really tall pot, and see what happens to those onions as you saute them. What's the difference? And the difference is the steam is captured in the pan if it's tall. The steam is released in a pan that's short and slope sided. So you can caramelize something so much easier in a slope-sided, short-sided pan with good surface than you can in something with sides that are capturing all that steam. That's something extremely important to understand when you get down to the fine points of cooking. All right, that so was a I good want lesson. To... Oh, look at you. Congratulations. So all right. let's, let's segue, beautifully segue, I congratulate myself in advance, from grilled to soups. Oh, yes. By talking Welcome. about something that's burned necessarily on purpose, which would French offend you. French onion. No. Oh. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a beef stock driven thing anyway. No, I was thinking about vegetable soups. Like what vegetable do you actually go ahead and char the bejesus out of to, to make it, right? It's a culinary term. <clears throat> exactly. That's, mm -hmm. You can look it up in the book. 
<laughs> page 47. Book oh, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere around the third week of August, sweet peppers are going to start showing up. Yum. And when those sweet peppers come, I'm going to oil them, salt them lightly, and put them on a grill that's not too high, and roast them so they char really nicely around the entire thing, and then peel off that skin, mm -hmm. right? And then you're left with the magic. Get rid of all those seeds, and what's left has so much flavor, and yeah. that's what you want to. That's what you want to add to, you know, stock or your dairy, and and puree, and 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 whatever else you're going to do with, you know, to make a sweet pepper soup. But yeah, but that, the difference you, is you can do a million things with that. Right. Absolutely. You're, but the you're difference not eating is, the burn part. Right. Exactly. You are talking about a cooking method that, again, the vegetable is steaming itself. It's separating the flesh from the skin, from the meat of the vegetable, and you're pulling all that chard off, so you don't have to eat it. So that's it's it's perfection. It's it's an amazing way to cook. That, and you can put that, you know, <clears throat> in plastic wrap or in foil, which will continue to steam it and make it really easy to pull that um, skin off those peppers. But as you say, yeah, I mean, what do you like to do with them? I mean, a, a million different things. Yeah. Honestly, okay. All right. Honestly, a, a sandwich with uh, a piece of bacon. <laughs> okay. Really, really easy, happy thing. That's uh, nice. Soup, soup, quite natural. Yeah. Uh, make a make a puree with that as a sauce for fish. The scallops you were talking about. You yeah. know when that first when that first spinach starts coming later in the in the summertime. I, you know, you talk about what I hated when I was a kid. I hated bell peppers when I was a kid. I mean, I, I, I still hate bell peppers, quite frankly. I can't, I can't. Green bell green peppers. Green bell peppers. I cannot eat them. I think they're awful. But poblano peppers, oh my gosh, they're so good. And all the hot peppers. I just, I don't know. There's something very weirdly pedestrian and weird about the way that bell, green bell peppers taste. Um, so, and I am talking about green ones. You're right, because red bell peppers are actually good. Those are good. The orange ones, the yellow ones, you can do things with those. I wouldn't add them to my crab cakes, but I would make soup out of them like you were talking about. I used to make a red bell pepper soup that I roasted, um, which was just cream and a little bit of stock and salt and pepper and a little Tabasco and cayenne and those peppers, and it was delicious. But it does make a good sauce for fish. I like that that uh, that thought. It's funny that you mentioned the bell peppers and crab cakes. I get a flashback to being nine years old and going to a neighbor's house and having the mom make crab cakes and they had bell peppers in them. And I told my dad, he said, it's all right, son. She's not from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they do that a lot in Charleston, put peppers in crab. I'm like, oh, that's just, it doesn't work. Crab, well, anyway, we're not talking about crab. Okay. No, let's, so, so vegetable soups, we talked about a broth with vegetables and vegetables mm -hmm. cooking in different segments mm -hmm. or in, in different stages, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe talk about something, um, a, a green vegetable soup or one of your very popular soups over the years like uh, corn chowder. Oh, gosh. We roast the corn in the husk for about 45 minutes at 325 degrees in a still oven. And then we take it out of the husk, try and get every bit of that silk off of there. Um, and cut it off the cob. Don't cut too close to the cob. You don't want the cob on it. And um, and there are things you can do with the cobs, by the way, but once we've roasted the corn and cut it off the cob, that's sitting and waiting because it actually goes into the soup at the very end because it's already cooked. And you don't want to cook it anymore, quite frankly. You just want it to draw, you want to draw out some of the flavor of the corn, but 
very little. So very little cook time. Saute a, a small dice or a brunoise, which is the smallest of dice of tasso ham, and then add the cream to the to the pot. Uh, let's say let's say if you're you're doing it for four people, a quarter of cream and maybe two ounces of andouille sausage. Work that, add the cream, let it start to work, and then that soup gets whole grain mustard to finish and the corn to finish. And that's that's all that's in there. We had chives on pickup. So it's very simple and it's really pretty quick to make once you've roasted the corn. Um, and um, and it's, it's good for a couple of days for sure. Uh, I'd say two. And um, I think with all soups, they just get better the second day for sure. Uh, but yeah, and you, and if you are reheating it, you obviously want to be mindful of the fact that you have a lot of garnish in there, you know, with the corn and the ham and, um, and you, and you, you want to make sure it doesn't stick or scold, scorch to the bottom of the pan. So you want to heat it up on low heat, but that's a great soup. That whole grain mustard sets off that soup. Just put a little bit in. It doesn't take much. A creamy, it's, let me re-say it's, that. It's a creamy it's the, whole grain mustard. It's that little bit of vinegar that's in there that makes the mm -hmm. difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it offsets you know, the richness of the corn and the cream. And the tasso, of course, gives seasoning. You know, tasso ham is covered in spices. You know, paprika, cayenne pepper, black pepper, white pepper. It has really finely ground up, um, usually thyme, basil, oregano. So, you know, it's it's you get some of that in as a seasoning agent, obviously, for the soup, which is, it's it's a great combination. I've just given you one of my favorite recipes. That's a, that's a great dish. There is... Uh so two things, and we'll get a wrap up on two veggies. One, curious, radishes. Is there anything else to do with a radish besides just eat the radish? I don't think so. I know, I know one thing, but yeah, I, I, I'm not. I mean, I, 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 my dad loved radishes. I mean, he would just hit them with salt and and have a great old time. Uh, he also eat, used to eat slabs of onion on white bread as a sandwich with a little bit of salt and butter. So he, he always loved those strong flavors like that. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I mean, you can always add radish to, we've added it to our tuna tartare before, which is a great addition to that tartare. Um, so I think that's kind of its use is, is with something that is rich in flavor and could use a little spiciness, which is what it, the radish brings. And also the radish brings crunch, which is always a great thing to introduce uh, to something that's soft um, in a dish. So, yeah. So the, the only one I've got for you is a bruschetta, uh, where you have fresh ricotta with, that has a little bit of garlic and olive oil and salt spread on the, you know, on the grilled mm -hmm. toast. And that, well, I guess it's silly to say toast, but you know, you, you know what I mean? The, Mm -hmm. Right, the piece of baguette or or bread that you've grilled, and then uh, it's fresh, uncooked fava beans, and big like shards of radish that you've cut shards on there, like <laughs> yeah, like bitter and nutty and creamy all at one time. Well, that and, sounds uh, good. All right, that works. Yeah, pretty for like sort of plump white wines from the northeast of Italy, you know, Sauvignon from Friuli, stuff like that. The other veggies I was going to ask you about was turnips. Do you have a favorite turnip? I've never seen you work much with turnips. No, I love turnips in I, I'm a bunch not, of different ways. I'm, uh, yeah, you you always try to bring me some from market, and I always yell at you when I'm in the walk-in and I see them, because again, uh, turnips like radishes to me, uh, I, I've just never really been on good on cooking them. Um, well, radishes definitely not cooking, but turnips you can cook obviously, and and lots of cultures do cook them. But I, I just don't dig it. So I love turnips, and I just again like them peeled and and with a 
a slice of them with salt. I think turnips are just delicious. But yeah, I, I'm not one for cooking them. I guess I really don't like the way they taste when they're cooked, which is why I'm not going to cook them and put them on on a plate for the restaurant. Yeah, turnips, turnips sautéed with the greens and uh, and duck fat was served with the magre is one of my all time favorite mm-hmm. ways and one of the easiest ways to use turnips. And Cindy, we missed what do we forget? What do we miss on our list? We missed risotto and some pasta dishes. I mean, you talked about the soup, but uh, we can get to it another time. Well, if you want to download this program or any one of our others, you can go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page, and there's a whole menu of goodies. If you want to correspond with the program, it's ForemanWolf at WIPR.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me on Instagram as Chef Cindy Wolf, and on Twitter and Facebook as Cindy Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs>